From the 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories Storytelling Show This is Immigration Stories with Nestor Gomez Stories and conversations with immigrants, refugees, second, third generations, and allies where we explore the ideas, policies, and histories that forge national identity, community, and belonging in America. We are your hosts, Angel Ling and Nestor Gómez. According to Pew Research Center, a Washington, D.C.-based nonpartisan fact tank, the number of undocumented immigrants living in the United States has been in decline since 2007, currently at the level in 2004. This fact stands in stark contrast to what the current administration wants us to believe, and it has in turn impacted the public's view on immigration, whether for asylum-seeking or other reasons. So can we begin to understand the lived experiences of undocumented immigrants, and whose story do we empathize with? In this episode, we explore our personal biases around undocumented immigrants, with Chicago-based writer Kristen Rader. First, here's Kristen's story as told on stage for 80 Minutes Around the World, Immigration Stories, on February 21st, 2019, at the Chimera Loft in Chicago. I recently visited my grandmother. As we sat at the dining table, the news blared from the TV nearby, a story about undocumented immigration and the refugee crisis. She sighed and told me, I have no problem with immigrants so long as they do it legally. Why can't people just do it the right way? I began to explain how I knew firsthand just how tricky the right way can be. Uh, so in case you haven't noticed, I'm white. Uh, I'm American. I was born in Pennsylvania coal country. I was taught how to fire a gun. I pay my taxes. I am a Republican marketing team's dream. <laughs> Except for one thing. I was once an undocumented immigrant. Uh, for years, conservatives have been telling us that undocumented immigrants are taking over and should be deported immediately. It doesn't seem to matter that undocumented immigration has actually been flat in the United States since 2009. It's the perception of the issue that matters. And perception is what allowed me to remain an undocumented immigrant for years. So this is a story of great privilege. For starters, I went to college. And during that time, I studied abroad in Spain for a summer. It was the first time anyone in my working class family had gone to Europe, apart from a few brief World War II deployments, since my great-grandparents had immigrated from Europe 75 years before. It would be difficult to overstate how naive I was when I got there, but travel cracks your brain open in a thousand indescribable ways. I spent some time in Madrid, and it was like an arrow through my heart. I knew I had to live there. So immediately after graduating, I moved to Madrid with a paid internship that secured me a short-term visa. It felt like home immediately. I shared a ramshackle apartment with a rotating cast of fellow foreigners, and then once again, I was lucky and privileged. I got a job editing a monthly city guide similar to The Reader, and they offered to sponsor my work visa so that I could apply for Spanish residency. I was thrilled. I could make long-term plans to stay in Madrid. So I was told that getting my legal residency papers was a process that would take more than a year. 
My employer and I had to fill out countless forms, and then every few months, I had to spend about six hours a day waiting in line at government buildings for someone to stamp those forms. I was almost always the only American there. My line waiting peers were Romanian, Dominican, Moroccan, Sudanese, Chinese, Russian, people of every stripe going through the lengthy and tedious process of moving to a new country. Some immigrated for jobs, some for love, some to retire, and some as a last resort, escaping dire circumstances. As we stood outside the gray building that would determine our fate, we became bureaucracy buddies. We would fetch coffee for the group, and we made small talk in our broken Spanish. Everyone had a different accent. And without fail, every trip to the immigration office meant someone saying, but you're American. Why should you have to do this? Can't you just live anywhere you want? Even people from other countries adopt our Yankee exceptionalism. And also, did you ever notice that when white people move to another country, they're called expats, but when non-white people do it, they're called immigrants? Uh, so time passed. I made friends. I had relationships. I bought furniture. I got to know the city like the back of my hand. I held down multiple jobs in order to get by, bartending, babysitting, writing, editing, and teaching English for cash. Life wasn't glamorous, but it was exciting. I took trains that crisscrossed Spain. I perfected the flip of my tortilla española. I was wholly devoted to my new country with the zeal of a religious convert. And then the luck and privilege ran out. The company that was sponsoring my visa was sold. On paper, it was like my visa sponsors had ceased to exist. I was, in an instant, illegally residing in Spain, where I had now lived and worked for three years. This is how it happens for the vast majority of the world's immigrants. Not with dramatic crimes or sneaky nighttime border crossings, as TV pundits would like you to believe, but with the stroke of a pen. It's not as exciting of a news story, but most immigrants simply get caught up in the gears of a broken, ineffective system of paperwork. I met with a lawyer, again, a privilege, and I had two options. I could return to the U.S. for six months and come back to Spain legally with a tourist visa, but that would only last 90 days and I'd be right back where I started. Or I could wait it out and hope that a new company would be willing to sponsor my visa. I chose the second option. I stayed. I wasn't afraid of hard work, and I had begun building a life and a career. I didn't want to stop now. But let's be clear. While I was young and broke, I wasn't fleeing war, terrorism, starvation, or religious persecution. Could I have just gone back to the U.S.? Probably. My family would have welcomed me with open arms. It's an incredible advantage to have choices and one not afforded to the majority of the world's immigrants. But people who move to other countries go seeking a better life, whatever that means to them. So finding a new visa sponsor became a daily, all-consuming activity. I went on interviews hoping they couldn't see my sweaty desperation, and I even got some job offers, including one from a news network. You might have heard of them. They produce the fake news. Um, <laughs> these were large, moneyed, international companies with whole departments of lawyers dedicated to handling red tape. They could help me, right? But when it came time to reveal my visa status, every single one said they couldn't sponsor me. The economic crisis was starting to hit Spain hard, and job placements had to first be offered to legal European Union residents. If you sort out your visa, be sure to let us know, they would say cheerfully as I left their offices with an ever-tightening knot in my chest. Uh, so now for a short history lesson. From 1939 to 1975, Spain lived under the isolationist dictatorship of Generalissimo Francisco Franco. There was virtually no immigration into Spain during that time, which created a homogenous nationalist society. 
And it stayed that way for a long time, even after Franco died. In 1998, immigrants made up just 3% of Spain's population. But by 2008, when I was living there undocumented, the share had jumped to 13%, one of the highest in Europe at the time. The global economic crash combined with this new influx of foreign residents brought with it some serious anti-immigrant sentiment. When times get tough, the easiest thing for people to do is to blame immigrants for stealing their jobs, even though it's been universally proven not to be the case. On the outside, my daily life was pretty normal. I went to work, I now got paid under the table, and I went out with my friends. I had a bank account, a cell phone contract, and a monthly subway pass. I even paid some taxes. Undocumented immigrants usually pay plenty of taxes. Uh, when I got sick, I paid cash for the services of the outstanding national health care system. I am here to tell you socialized medicine is really great. We should probably get some. Uh, I got to live an okay life under the radar, other than people shouting at me occasionally that they hated George W. Bush. But meanwhile, all around me, I witnessed increased pressure on the non-white immigrants in Spain. There were random ID checks, conveniently, in the neighborhoods populated by Moroccans and Sub-Saharan Africans. The news reported daily on deportation statistics, and police were given weekly quotas of undocumented immigrants to detain. Does any of this sound familiar? One day, I was nearly knocked down in the street by two policemen. They were chasing two panicked-looking African men who ran down the crowded sidewalk. The police breezed past me in a blur, me, an undocumented immigrant, in their pursuit to capture the other undocumented immigrants. I deserved to be deported just as much as those men did. We were probably breaking the immigration law in equal measure. I got to continue on my way, and they were hunted down. But again, this happens here in America, too. Did you know there are over 500,000 undocumented European immigrants in the U.S.? For some reason, those ones are never mentioned. Uh, don't get me wrong. Americans can and do get deported from other countries, just less often. A friend of mine from Boston, who had also overstayed her visa by several years, was caught at the Madrid airport. She wasn't allowed to go back to her apartment to gather her things or say goodbye to her fiancé. She was placed on the first plane back to Boston with a big black X on her passport, banned from not just Spain, but the entire European Union for 10 years. While not everyone is chased down in the street or deported, here's the thing that's not often discussed when it comes to undocumented immigration. No one wants to live in the margins. The idea that undocumented immigrants are gleefully taking advantage of society's benefits is false. To be constantly looking over your shoulder, to feel that the rug could be swept out from under you at any moment is exhausting. I, an undocumented immigrant with seemingly every advantage, was a bundle of nerves when I thought about the future. I loved my home, my work, and my friends, who had become my second family. The idea of being forced to leave kept me up at night. A gay friend offered to marry me for papers. Uh, <laughs> it was a kind offer, but I said no. I wanted so desperately to do things on the up and up. My Spanish friends would call me a sin papeles in jest. It was a joke because I was the right kind of immigrant, get it? I'm non-threatening, I'm educated. But the joke's on them. I had now been living undocumented in their country for more than five years. I kept my head down and kept working, exploring every possible path towards legal residency. I didn't go back to the U.S. because the risk of being caught upon reentry was too great. Because of my white skin and superpower country of origin, I was invisible. I was in legal purgatory, not legitimate enough to get citizenship, but not suspicious enough to be handcuffed and sent away. 
That limbo is exactly how so many of the world's undocumented immigrants live. Honest, hardworking people arrive very often legally at first and with the best of intentions. But bureaucratic red tape, economic circumstances beyond their control, and thousands of other factors can keep them from becoming legal citizens. Obtaining legal residency can take years or even decades to attain. It's stifling, and for so many immigrants, it can become a permanent way of life. When you're in this not-quite-legitimate fugue state, it's impossible to live up to your potential, to plan for the future, to fully participate in your community, and to be truly free. In the end, the strain of living undocumented was too much, and the opportunities too few. I returned to the U.S. nearly seven years after I had optimistically set out. I miss Spain like it's a phantom limb. And I mourn for the life that I started in my new country, but fortunately, technology and occasional visits keep me connected. I feel that strongly about a place where I just simply felt at home. I can't even fathom how I'd feel about staying in my adopted country if it meant shelter and safety for my child or escape from rape, war, famine, or certain death. Can you? Here's Kristen and I in Chicago sharing our experiences with living abroad and the reasons for immigration. Something that people who are anti-immigration have unfortunately done really well is to create this us versus them narrative. And they put this message into the media and into their communities that they as natural born citizens are somehow more hardworking and law abiding and righteous, whereas immigrants are grifters and they're coming in to steal jobs and they'll increase crime and they'll, they want to cheat the system. It's not true, of course, but it's been a really effective message. And when immigrants don't look like you or talk like you or worship like you, it's easier to make them this big, bad other. Um, but we're all just people. And everybody wants the same thing, and that is to be safe and healthy and happy. And so I wanted to try, if I could, to use my otherwise privileged white story to say, hey, you know, to those people, if it helps you understand this, if you want to think of certain people as not being like you, well, here I am. I look like you, and I talk like you, and I had all these advantages in the world, and I didn't want to cheat any system. And this is what immigration can look like. So if my, if my white blonde self and my American passport can somehow induce more understanding or compassion in you, then great, mission accomplished. But then I would challenge you to ask yourself why that is. Mm-hmm. So that was the goal. And I lived in El Salvador. I went for work. After it was over, I said, oh, I think I want to stay. Yeah. Um, So I decided to stay, but I decided to do consulting work. And, you know, I also hired a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I also found a way to, I actually opened my own company, sponsored my own Mm -hmm. visa. When I heard your story, I reflected on this part of my life. You know, I also Mm -hmm. stayed, I I overstayed Mm -hmm. my visa. Which is how most undocumented immigrants get to wherever they're getting. Most people just overstay a visa. I forget what the percentage is, but it's pretty high, Mm -hmm. more than 50%. 
And I remember going home and then coming back into El Salvador or, or going back to El Salvador, going through customs and they would look at my passport and be like, oh, you're coming back again, you mm -hmm. know? And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm in love or, you know, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, or just go, oh, yeah, I'm here just to volunteer and mm -hmm. they stamp my passport yeah. and then let me come back in. Yeah. I think when people say, you know, why can't people just do it the legal way and go through the proper process? I don't think that's even necessarily coming from a place of malice. I think it's just total ignorance, maybe willful ignorance, you could argue. Um, but a lot of people, and Americans especially, if they don't know any immigrants personally, they have zero knowledge of how inefficient and time-consuming and expensive the immigration process can be. Um, and so I said in my story, and I really do believe that most people do want to go through the proper channels, but the system is broken and it needs more attention from our lawmakers, but also just from our citizens in order to make it better. Let's look into that because I, I do think that, yeah, a lot of people actually are in love, right? I just joked sure, about sure, like, yeah. being in love. Which is as good a reason to immigrate as any. Right. Yeah. To me, unless you're part of like a very tiny segment who is in some way doing something underhanded, I think all the reasons to immigrate are good. If you just want a change of scene, if you're coming for a job, if you're coming for love, if you want to retire somewhere, like why shouldn't we be able to move about the world mm -hmm. the way that we want to? Right. Um, because it makes the world better. It makes, um, you know, all the studies have shown that Education-wise, it has positive effects. Economically, it has positive effects. Like there really is no detriment to any society because of immigration. And unfortunately, that message has been totally hijacked by people tapping into people's fear. Kristen, why do you think that you were so drawn to... Spain and Madrid? That's a good question. I was not supposed to study in Spain. I was supposed to study in Guadalajara, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I can't even remember at this point because it was so long ago. I either missed the deadline or the program filled up or something. And I was supposed to study abroad in Toledo, Spain. And I have a Venezuelan brother-in-law who said like, oh no, like you're going to come back with that accent. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I was like, all right, I'll go do this. And it was great. It was an eye-opening ex experience, but I went to Madrid just for a weekend during that time. And it sounds cliche or like from a movie, but I popped up out of the subway on the Gran Via and I was like, well, I have to live here. Like it was, it was, hmm. people talk about love at first sight with people and it was love at first sight with a city and a place. I, it, like there wasn't even a question about logistics or practicality. I was like, I will live here. Hmm. Hmm. And had you by then met anybody? No, no. It, yeah, you people no are friends. like, oh, you must have fallen in love with this baby. I didn't know anybody. My Spanish at that point was intermediate at best. Um, I was 21 years old and was just like, I, this is where I need to be. Hmm. And I met people pretty quickly, um, both Spaniards and expats um, through my work. 
And Madrid is just such a welcoming city to people from everywhere in the world. I never felt homesick. I never felt out of place. It just was the easiest thing in the world. And, you know, just like love with a person. I think sometimes when it's right, it's just right. It just, Mm. everything falls into place. What was going on in your life at the time? Um, I had just graduated from university and, you know, I'm from a very small town where people get married very young and, a lot of people just after college said like, well, time to get married and start a family, which is fine. That's the right decision for plenty of people. But I just wasn't there yet. And a lot of people went right into grad school. I didn't really want to do that. Um, I just knew that I had found this place where I felt at home and I was young and naive in the best possible way, because I think as we get older, we get way more cautious (laughs) Um, and so I just said, I'm doing this. Yeah. And my family thought I was crazy. I might as well have said I wanted to live on the moon. Um, you know, this was only 15 years ago, but it was pre-smartphone. It was pre-internet everywhere. Mm. Um, you had paper map, right? Yeah, (laughs) I did. I had a paper map. I had to go to little, um, locutorios. I don't know even what they're like phone shops to call home once in a while, um, which is, I mean, it's still exceedingly easy compared to, you know, I'm 36. I I have relatives and I have friends who have, have relatives who immigrated 75, a hundred years ago. And when they left their country, they left. That was it. They sent letters once in a while. Maybe they went back once or twice and that was it. You know, Mm -hmm. I was still able to maintain a good amount of communication with my friends and family at home. What was it like to live undocumented? Yeah, it was not optimal. Um, (laughs) So like I said in my story, like in some regards, it's just day-to-day life. You know, there are plenty of undocumented people that you walk by every day. I live in Chicago that are doing exactly what I did. They have jobs that they go to every day. They have responsibilities. They have friends. They have families. They have hobbies. Um, But their paperwork isn't in order. And they might be trying to get it in order Mm -hmm. while maintaining a life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with me, if you want to have any kind of career that can have a paper trail and and be on the up and up and progress, that was the most stifling thing for me Um, because I I was writing and editing at the time. That was in a time where you could do that full-time and make a living. I wanted to keep moving, you know, stone to stone, hopping stone to stone, Um, in my career. And I just couldn't see how I could do that if I couldn't make this residency thing happen. And so that was, it's really, if, if I wasn't able to progress in my career because someone thought I didn't have talent or didn't like the look of me or whatever, I probably could have accepted that, but it was just so frustrating that it was beyond my control. It was this piece of paper and the place that I was from that kept me from reaching the goals that I had and having the life that I had. 
was this something that was like time consuming for you? Yeah. Just like thinking yeah, about it, it. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people who don't have a lot of immigrants in their lives don't realize it's sometimes the citizenship process can be backbreaking work. Um, and I had a relatively easy time, but there are people in this country every day who are waiting for the other shoe to drop and they're doing absolutely everything paperwork wise labor-wise, money-wise, to just stay in the place that they want to live. And yeah, it's it's just something that you can never stop thinking about. Mm -hmm. It impacts the way you move about the city. Um, Yeah, it impacts everything. And, you know, I was always a pretty good kid, a rule follower. Like, I questioned authority to some extent, but not... I I thought, you know, laws are in place to protect us. Policemen are here to help us. You know, people should immigrate the right way, quote unquote, before I realized that that's at times almost impossible um, or at least very difficult. Um, And so, yeah, it really changed my perspective on so many things about how the world works, Um, who gets to move about with freedom and who doesn't based on things like religion and skin color and economic status. In your story, you kind of talked a little bit about context of what was going on in Mm. Spain. What do you think is the context that we're living in in America right now? Hmm. Like from Um, your perspective. So Spain is smaller than Texas. It's only 40 million people, and they just didn't have the history of immigration that we have in the United States. And so I don't think it's that Spain as a whole was anti-immigrant. They just were woefully unprepared for what was happening, and it took some adjustment time, and it's gotten much better since then. Whereas the United States, were a country of immigrants. This has been how our country has been built up and grown for centuries, two centuries, Um, And so right now, it's just that warping of perspective that I talk about in the story. Um, We're tapping into people's fears through 24-7 media. We are trying to divide people. And all the people who are doing the dividing are the people of privilege. They realize that in a capitalist system, the only way that they're going to keep their status and their privilege is to have somebody be the other. And right now, it's immigrants. And specifically, it's often Muslim immigrants or Mexican immigrants or Latin American immigrants um, creating this idea that scary people are coming into your country Instead of the attitude of these are people who have every right to be here. Anyone can seek asylum. Anyone can move to a new country. Um, it's a it's a sad state of affairs right now. It is as though we forgot that this is a country of immigrants. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a thing on Twitter where someone said you know, what's the Venn diagram of people who are anti-immigration, but who are also buying a kit from 23andMe (laughs) to find out their origin? Like, we are not far removed. Mm. My great-grandparents came from Italy and Ireland. Like, immigration is five minutes ago, comparatively, in our history. That was Chicago-based writer Kristen Rader. Kristen is a translator, editor, and manager 
at an educational publishing company. To maintain her ties to her beloved Spain, she recently completed her MBA at Madrid's IE University. Kristen lives in Chicago with her husband and their adorable three-legged dog, Magnus. Here's Nestor and I on Kristen's story. Let's start our conversation um, with the comparison I made um, to Kristen's story with my three years in El Salvador where I overstayed my initial one year of work um, and then did, you know, did consulting work while my tourist visa um, before I was able to get my residency through sponsoring myself because I opened a company. You were in the limbo, in the immigration limbo. I, I was in the immigration limbo for like uh, 15 years too. And that's, uh, and that's when we have the privilege to, to hire a lawyer, to have money to like actually go through the process that, you know, the, the process of go, going to court, getting a lawyer. But what if the people that don't have any money, the people that are barely struggling to pay their the rent? Kristen's story was such a great opening for us to talk about privilege in this world. Um, and she also touches on the on her story. She touches on the privilege that she had for being first skinned, you know, for being white person. How she was undocumented and she would walk down the street, and there were um, the police or the immigration in Spain was trying to catch some immigrants who were undocumented and who, who they just knew were undocumented because of the way that they look. Because they didn't look first skin, because they look like they were immigrants, basically. They fit the description, you know. You know that the discrimination that a lot of people go because they fit the description. People get uh, pulled over on the street because they fit the description of the person that was that they're looking for. Something that the African American community goes through a lot. They fit the description of the criminal, so they get pulled over and they get questioned because of it. Uh, so she was she was talking about not only not only her story touches not only on the privilege of having money to go through the financial requirements or through the legal requirements to have the money to pay for a lawyer, but it also the privilege of being somebody who just doesn't fit the image, the undocumented description. And at one point, she also mentions how easy it was for her to return home. Um, the way it was easy for me to leave El Salvador to go back to the U.S. Um, for people who are seeking asylum in the U.S., returning home is not a choice, right, that they can actually make. Um, it's what societies that lack empathetic and compassionate lawmakers do to asylum seekers. Or if you were a kid who came with, to this country with, with, with your parents and you just started to go to school and, and you went through, you know, through elementary school and high school and then you wanna, you want to go to, uni- to the university and have a life. So many DACA students, so many, so many students that went through the DACA process that are now on limbo. What is going to happen to those kids? You know, are, are they going to become citizens? Are they going to have to keep uh, applying for DACA every two years? And now the other kids that are here that couldn't apply for DACA because DACA expired. And now what's happening with those kids? I have met some kids in high school who are undocumented and they come to me and say, like, what do I do? I'm like, we're just going to keep on fighting. Immigration Stories with Nestor Gomez is a production of 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories. More information on 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories can be found on our website, NestorGomezStoryteller.com 
and the show's Facebook page. Please contact us if you have a story you want to share or would like to invite the show to your city or organization near you. Immigration Stories Podcast is created, produced, edited by Nestor Gomez and Angel Link. Thank you for listening. Please remember to like and share. <laughs>